0: You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast.
1: Not everybody believes that there's objective truth. Not everybody believes that there's objective morality, but we all agree about beauty. So let's start there and move forward.
0: And that was best-selling author Brandon Vaught talking about how we can evangelize people through beauty and how beauty itself can actually lead us to truth. This is Michael J. Legends, writer and the host of the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Brandon and I sit down to talk about his latest book, Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. Fantastic book, and you can read an excerpt on CatholicExchange.com today. We'll make that available to you. But we talk about that book, but more importantly, how do we evangelize the world, especially those who don't have any religious affiliation at all? The nuns, as they're called. So, without further ado, I'm going to go to Brandon and I. We're going to talk about his latest book and how we can evangelize a culture. Join us on CatholicExchange.com and also WhyCatholicBook.com. Thank you, and God bless. And Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on the Catholic Exchange podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great, Michael. It's good to be here with you. Oh,
0: it's our pleasure, as always. So today we're talking about your latest book, Why Am a Catholic and Why You Should Be Too, or You Should Be Too. So uh, tell me, everybody should be, too. (laughs) Everyone should be, too. Absolutely. And that's really the point of your book. It's less a conversion story and more of your conversion sprinkled throughout, of course. But it's talking about, hey, this is why I became Catholic. And also, this is why you should be Catholic. I'm kind of curious. It's a unique idea. What brought this about?
1: Well, it kind of emerged out of my many years working with atheists, agnostics, Mm -hmm. nuns, N-O-N-E-S, you know, those without any religious identification. And I realized that for many of them, religion has just become sort of a subjective preference, much like your favorite flavor of ice cream or your favorite band or your favorite sports team. Mm. And so many of my friends, when they learned that I was not only a Catholic, but You know a pretty devout Catholic they would say oh, that's that's great. It's good for you You know, you're Catholic, but you know that guy's Methodist that guy's Jewish that guy's Muslim, you know Hey, whatever works, whatever works for you, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good And the more I thought about it the more that bothered me because (laughs) religion is different than Sports or food or your favorite music religion makes objective claims about reality and especially Catholicism. Uh, Catholicism yes. makes very specific claims about Jesus of Nazareth, this man who lived 2,000 years ago. We believe he rose from the dead, and that that's a historical fact. And so a lot of the claims Catholicism makes can be objectively measured. They're either objectively true for everyone, or they're objectively false for everyone. The one thing they can't be is a little true for some people and a, and a little false for others. So That's kind of why I wrote this book, was to try to make a fresh, objective case for Catholicism.
0: And so a lot of people will be talking about uh, conversion. What I loved about what you focused on was the true, the good, the beautiful. And you talk about those uh, as your headings, but also getting into why the church proclaims that. Beauty struck me because in this age, I think you and I have a mutual friend in Joseph Pierce Beauty is underappreciated in both the secular and the religious sphere in North America. So what prompted you to want to write about beauty?
1: Well, because like you and like Joseph Pierce, I realized that beauty can often be an effective pathway to God, especially in today's culture where people dismiss truth claims and moral commandments. You know, don't tell me what to believe and don't tell me how to behave, but beauty is not threatening it's not controversial it's it's alluring you, you can't argue with a beautiful gothic cathedral or a beautiful song or a beautiful work of art beauty just grabs you you know there's that great phrase aesthetic arrest beauty stops you and points mm-hmm. you in a new direction it suggests there 's something more here to this material world, you know, so I think anybody can be captured by beauty, and I think most of us are that rings with our experience. The question is what do you do with it? Where does it lead you uh, w- Where does it come from? you know like when we when we st- are, are just st- stopped underneath a breathtaking cathedral there 's something within us that realizes this cathedral is more. Than just dirt and stone and particular you know particulates of matter that are have been carefully arranged here there's something more here that's working on me than just the matter that makes it up and and so what is that where does it come from i want more of it how do i get more of it i think all those sorts of questions will ultimately lead people to the transcendent source of beauty which is god
0: yes absolutely and That rang very true with me. I just got back from a family vacation to Italy with my parents and my brother, and I'm the only Catholic in my family, I should point this out. So taking them through Italy and seeing it through their eyes, it's unbelievable how much that beauty can stay with you, not just even at the Vatican, but even some of the lesser-known churches, really the beauty of them can be overwhelming at times, even for a non-religious person, which was interesting to me to see that from a non-Catholic perspective, for sure. You
1: know, I, I'm i in the same boat as you. I am the only non-Catholic, in, or the, <laughs> the only <laughs> Catholic in my immediate family. But I, I think, again, beauty is something that transcends religious, ethic, ethnical, uh, cultural divides. Everybody appreciates beauty, and mm-hmm. so suddenly we have Uh, something to appeal to. Not everybody believes that there's objective truth. Not everybody believes that there's objective morality, but we all agree about beauty, so let's start there and move forward.
0: Agreed. You've brought this up a couple times. A lot of people dismiss truth claims or they act like it's another consumer choice, which I never actually thought about it till this interview, so I'm learning something, but I never thought of that as seeing religion as almost another consumer good. So it's like people prefer Christianity to unitarianism as if they are coke or diet coke i'll leave you to fill in which one is which but <laughs> <laughs> people make those claims where do you think the root of that is why people look suddenly see religion as just another choice
1: well we could do a whole nother interview about about this uh you know coming from a protestant background myself i sensed even as a protestant the sort of religious consumerism that is infected so much of american christianity mm-hmm. where churches are are no longer judged by their doctrinal stances, but are instead judged by what do they offer me? What can I get out of it? Uh, so for example, many of my friends will judge a church either good or bad based on how, uh, how engaging the sermon was on Sunday or how welcoming the community was at this particular church versus this other one, or what type of experiences I have when I go there on Sunday morning. Now all these things are good and, and I'm not suggesting we should dismiss any of them, but they're not ultimately the question. The question is, which is true? You know, all of these uh, churches and not just within Christianity, but all religions make claims, Mm -hmm. many of which are mutually exclusive. They can't all be true. And so that's the question we need to ask. What is the truth? Where does the truth lead me? And during my studies, I found that the truth led me to the doors of the Catholic Church.
0: You bring up your conversion story. Like I said, it's This book is not a conversion story, but you sprinkle in little bits of how you came to be Catholic. I'm always curious about this with fellow converts. Was there a precipitating event, something that just made you go, okay, maybe I'm wrong and maybe these guys are right? Do you have a particular
1: one like that? Yep. I know exactly what I would say to that. I was very put off by the Eucharist as a Mm non-Catholic. Whenever I visited Catholic churches and went to Mass, I thought the Eucharist was one of the strangest things I'd ever Scene in my life, and then, when I was invited to Eucharistic adoration, that was like the craziest experience in my life. I thought how you know how could these otherwise sensible people be kneeling and singing and praying in front of this piece of bread i thought this this is like the clearest case of idolatry possible <laughs> and then I had a Catholic friend who told me, no, no no it's, it would be idolatry if it was as you think just a piece of bread, but but it 's not it 's Jesus. Body and blood, soul and divinity. So we're worshiping Jesus, not a mere piece of bread. And so that led me to this conundrum, which many Catholics have confronted: that either the Eucharist is what the Catholic Church believes, and in that case, where else would you go? You know, how could you not want to be Catholic that you could worship and even Mm -hmm. receive Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, or? The Catholic Church is wrong, and this is the most idolatrous, disastrous religion, most deluded religion in the entire world. So for me, that was was the choice. I had to settle that question, and I was convinced of the first option by many things, but— perhaps the main one, was rereading the scriptures through the lens of the Catholic Church, particularly John chapter 6, rereading the early church fathers, the earliest Christians, and seeing how they understood communion or the Eucharist. And then reading Christians up and down the centuries, up until the year 1500, there was essentially not a single Christian who believed that the Eucharist was anything but the real presence. There was nobody, no mainstream groups proposing that it was just a symbol, that it was just a memorial, that it really is just bread. I mean, it's a very novel proposal in the history of Christianity. So realizing all those things convinced me of the Eucharist. And then once I was convinced of that, the rest of it was was downhill.
0: Absolutely. It's interesting you bring up the Eucharist. That was a huge stumbling block for me. Strangely enough, it wasn't Mary, and I found that all interesting that you also didn't bring up Mary, because for most people who are coming from a non-Catholic background, Mary kind of freaks them out a little bit. But that wasn't your experience, I guess.
1: No, it wasn't. I think Mary, um, you know, I was trained as an engineer. I had a mm-hmm. mathematical, logical background. So the logic of Mary made sense to me, that mm-hmm. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. Therefore, Mary's the mother of God, which <laughs> makes her... A unique person in the history of the world, different mm-hmm. than every other creature. God lived within her. She gave birth to God. And so all of the great Catholic devotion to Mary that's grown over the centuries made made total sense to me. I had to warm up to it practically, to things like praying the rosary and, you know, doing Marian devotions and things like that. That, that took some time to warm up to. But logically, theologically, it made total sense to me.
0: And, of course, this Catholic... Rem- I'm sorry, this title reminded me of a couple of other books, namely Gary Wills' Why I'm Still a Catholic, but more importantly, The Great G.K. Chesterton's The Thing, or sometimes subtitled Why I'm a Catholic. Actually, this is a question I know the answer to, but has <laughs> Chesterton influenced this book quite a bit?
1: Yeah, good que- Good loaded question, because the answer is quite clear. Yeah. Yes, I think even on the very first page of the book, I start off with a quote from G.K. Chesterton, and he must he must be, I haven't calculated this, but he must be the the person I quote the most throughout the book. Um, he's had an enormous impact on me because he faced what many of us face today, which is a culture that just dismisses religion. It's just mm-hmm. a, a nice little pastime. you know, you, they they just nicely pat religious people on the head and say, well, that's that's nice for you that you still believe in that stuff. But <laughs> Chesterton was one of the most brilliant, uh, prolific, uh, insightful people of people of his time. And even this genius of a man found the Catholic Church compelling. And to me, his arguments for the Catholic Church in his books, Orthodoxy, and in some of the essays that you mentioned that describe his conversion, remain some of the most persuasive and compelling cases for Catholicism out there. So I've always taken Chesterton as my model. In fact, uh my wife and i are expecting our sixth child here in a few months and we've decided to name him gilbert after gk chesterton so he's had an enormous impact on me
0: if we could count the number of converts i think some people have tried to make a count of the number of converts that gk chesterton has impacted i know i'm one of them and it seems like every other convert i meet had read some chesterton even if only a couple essays before they converted man's done quite a bit of good thank god yeah and
1: i I hope we can all thank him one day i hope uh and i hope Mm -hmm. his cause for canonization moves forward quickly as well i think he's a saint
0: i think of him as a saint too he certainly has impacted my life in a very great way going back to the book and sort of its impact on people you talk about in one of your first section oh actually towards the middle of the section but that you believe you became catholic and you think other people should become Catholic because it actually forgives sins. That's a really bold claim in this age and culture. So can you just tell us a little bit about like, how did you come to realizing that the Catholic Church could forgive sins and how that impacted your conversion journey?
1: Yeah, great question, Michael. You know, this calls to mind the man we were just speaking about, G.K. Chesterton. Yes. He was asked multiple times throughout his life after his conversion, why did you become Catholic? And he would give different answers. You know, my favorite one is he said, well... The difficulty of answering the question about why I became Catholic is that there are thousands of reasons, but they all ultimately amount to one because it's true. And I've always taken that as my own response as well. But another time he was asked, uh, why did you become Catholic? And he said, simple, to have my sins forgiven. And the more I reflected on that, that wasn't necessarily one of the driving forces that pulled me into the church. But the more I reflected on that, I thought, that's that's right, because where else— can somebody have their sins forgiven now you might say well what about protestant christians you know jesus they all believe in jesus that he died for our sins and forgives our sins Well, yeah, that's true, but as I note in the book, the difficulty with the Protestant conception of the forgiveness of sins is that it tends to be very subjective, that uh, even even most Protestants would agree that you have to do something to have your sins forgiven. You have to namely ask forgiveness, you have to repent, you have to be sincere whenever you ask for forgiveness, these sorts of things. But as a Protestant, I remember whenever I would sin badly, and then I would— try to repent. I would sort of have a change of heart, a change of mind. I would pray privately, just me and Jesus, and I would ask Jesus to forgive me. But I remember always later on there'd be this sort of devil's advocate that would say, Oh, come on, you really didn't mean that. You know, you were just gonna Mm -hmm. do the same thing again. You're not really forgiven because you you haven't really repented or you know, you you ask Jesus's forgiveness, but you're just treating this as sort of a, a get out of hell free card, and you're just trying to manipulate. <laughs> so all of these contradictory feelings and voices and intuitions that caused me to doubt whether I had really been forgiven. Now, now some Protestants will, will push back and say, oh, well, that's just you not understanding the certainty of forgiveness that we can have within Christianity. But But I didn't didn't buy that, and I still don't. I think only a sacramental system, whether it be Catholicism or maybe uh, Anglicanism or, or Eastern Orthodoxy, that offers the assurance of forgiveness because there's an objective authority, namely the priest sitting in front of you in the confessional. Jesus has given the priest the authority to bind or loose your sins. So that means Mm -hmm. no matter how you feel, no matter the voices in your head, no matter your intuitions, if you confess your sins to a priest and follow the requirements of a good confession, and the priest tells you, I absolve you of all of your sins, then objectively, regardless of how you feel, those sins are forgiven. They're gone. And I think that's what captured Chesterton, and, and I hope it'll be appealing to many people today who are just rot with guilt and dragging mistakes and sins throughout their life. Mm -hmm. Catholicism offers you freedom for that.
0: Absolutely. You touched on a very real anxiety that I notice a lot of people, religious, non-religious, maybe even apathetic to religion. uh, They all suffer with the overwhelming feelings of guilt, of existential dread we could probably call it if we wanted to get continental up in here (laughs) and uh you know these great horrible feelings and i understand them a lot of i think having those feelings and realizing that you know consumerism, materialism wasn't good enough, was what led me to the Catholic Church, and that's something I hope we can get out there. But how have people responded to that message? Because that's certainly something you promote. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm totally with you. That's my experience with with my friends, with people I interact with online, is Mm -hmm. there's just this existential Despair, frustration, they feel like they're stuck in life. Maybe they've made mistakes or they're they're carrying around guilt with them and they don't know what to do with it. The only thing our yes. culture offers is therapy, some therapeutic resolution. And I don't mean only going to see a therapist, therapeutic, proposals can take all sorts of forms by, you know, think of, say, the self-help movement or self-help books or, you know, friends encouraging you just to sort of get over it or pull you up by your own bootstraps, that kind of stuff. But I think what most people (laughs) realize is it doesn't work. You know, you can you can sort of soften over the edges of your guilt. You can try to suppress it. You can try to pretend like it doesn't exist. But eventually, Mm -hmm. if you're honest with yourself, you realize none of that works. You need something else. This needs to be forgiven by something beyond me, that I, I can't deal with this on my own. That's what confession provides. That's what the Catholic Church offers.
0: Absolutely, and it's certainly something that brought me into the Church. and uh, Through the, dar- the darkest and hardest times, has always been a great resource to have. And now to switch gears a little bit, you mentioned you talked to non-believers, something I don't know if our listeners are aware of, but Brandon, you really, really push uh, For dialogue with non-believers, including atheists, agnostics, and all that. And I believe you have a website where you engage in that dialogue, am I correct?
1: Yes, that's right, Michael. So about five years ago, I started a website called strangenotions.com, which was designed to be the central place of dialogue between Catholics and atheists. So we've drawn over three million unique people to the site over the past half-decade, to discuss all sorts of questions about God and science and meaning and morality. So it's been a really encouraging and fruitful effort to sort of get beyond the walls of the church and interact with people who otherwise would never dialogue with a Catholic about these things.
0: Excellent. And what has been your experience of that dialogue? I know for a guy like me, the idea of interacting on the internet but with believers and non-believers like oh my gosh that's going to drive me insane
1: (laughs) yeah that's i mean that experience which i've had as well uh was sort of the instigator for this site because i was interested in having these discussions but i noticed wherever i went online whether it was to christian discussion forums or atheist blogs or whatever The Mm -hmm. discussion was always so painfully vitriolic and vulgar and snarky and people just insulting each other. We never got anywhere. And so I wanted to create sort of an online oasis where serious minded charitable people could come and have fruitful dialogue about these things. So we do have a pretty stringent commenting policy. There have been several people that we've had to ban because they couldn't avoid insulting people or mocking people, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'll add, uh, pretty much an equal number of atheists and Catholics have been banned. So it's not a problem just with atheists. There's many Catholics who find it difficult to engage atheists without mockery um so we wanted to to sort of raise the bar raise the level of dialogue and actually get somewhere you know we thought that let's journey together toward truth and not just you know sink down into personal insults
0: yes and that's a very brave project for you to take up i can only imagine sometimes one of the reasons why I don't comment anymore is because I couldn't engage even sometimes with my fellow Catholics about some things going on without being insulted or threatened. Sure. And it's like, okay, sure, moving away. So it's great that you took on that task because God bless you. <laughs> Thanks. Have you found uh, when you are engaging with atheists, what would you say are the major hurdles for them to, to approach Catholicism?
1: Well, with atheists, obviously it's belief in God. They don't believe in God, <laughs> which is a minor prerequisite to being Catholic. Uh, so that's probably the, the, in the number one thing. And more specifically, the number one demand that I hear from my atheist friends is show me the evidence, show me the evidence. <clears throat> you believe in God, show me the evidence. And I found that many of my Catholic friends have strong beliefs in God. They know God exists. They have difficulty showing God exists. You see the difference? Sure. And so oh, they, yes. they have a strong belief in God, but they can't Communicate that with others. Maybe they know God exists because they've met him personally through prayer, through the scriptures, through a powerful religious experience, and all those things are great, but they're not objective, and so they won't persuade other people. So, what we need are good reasons or good evidence to believe God exists. So, at Strangenotions.com, we spend a lot of time going back and forth over the proposed. Evidence for God. And I think Catholics will be happy to know there is a lot of evidence for God. Mm St. Paul says in Romans that creation itself is evidence of God and that merely reflecting on creation can lead to knowledge of many of God's attributes. And the Catholic Church itself teaches as dogma that God's existence can be known solely by reason. So uh, you don't need the Bible, you don't need church teaching, you don't need councils. To tell you that God exists. Now, certainly we need divine revelation for other things. We need that to know that that God is love, that God is a trinity, um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that Jesus forgives our sins. All this has been revealed to us, but to know simply that God exists, we can— pursue through reason alone. So that's why I enjoy this sort of discussion with atheists, because you're starting at ground zero, sharing something in common. Look, we both believe in the power of reason, the power of philosophy, of marshalling evidence Mm -hmm. to support your arguments. Okay, let's start there and see what we can find.
0: For the penultimate question, I wanted to come back to the book and connect it with what you were talking about with dialogue with atheists. Would you say this book is something good for non-believers or perhaps Uh, agnostics
1: to look into? Yes, Michael. In fact, that's the exact reason I wrote this book, is I wrote this book with atheists, agnostics, non-religious people, former Catholics in mind. Uh, I, I intentionally did not presume anything other than that you are a reasonable and open minded person who's interested in these matters uh, but I wrote the book mm-hmm. for people who don't care about religion who think religion is pointless who don't believe in God and so that's why from chapter one all the way through I, I start from ground zero and work my way up
0: very cool and I could certainly feel that while reading it which is something very nice to hear besides uh just telling Catholics why they're right you- we don't need that all the time, so it's good for you to aim for that. And finally, before we end this discussion, Brandon, I just want to, first of all, thank you very much for writing this. I've been a huge fan. It's a very enjoyable book, uh, but if people want to learn more about you and more about this book, where can they go?
1: Yeah, great question, Michael. So the best place to go for the book is whycatholicbook.com, com, mm-hmm. and you can find out more about the book. I also have a free five-part video series on that site where I look at five really good reasons to be Catholic. So I think everybody listening to this will enjoy that. And then uh, my personal website where I kind of share blogs and other projects and posts, that's at com.
0: Wonderful. Brandon, thank you very much. For all of you who Want to learn more about this book, I highly recommend it. Check out your local Catholic bookstore or go to whycatholicbook.com. We'll have those links up on catholicexchange.com. We'll also have links to Brandon's websites and a few of the books we were talking about, including some of his past work and strangenotions.com, which, whether you're Catholic or if you're one of the few agnostic folks who I know listen to me, go ahead and take a look. It's really an intriguing website. Just, it's nice to see good respectful dialogue on the website it's a miracle in and of itself i have to tell <laughs> you. i
1: say i say strange notions exists therefore there is a god
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh, it's that i'll remember that the next time i wrestle that's those, the but.
1: argument from strange notions yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it well brandon thank you so much for joining us and thanks for writing this book and just sharing with us some of your life and your good work throughout the world. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks
1: so much, Michael. I really appreciate it.